Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? All right, we're here to discuss moves with the most ridiculous setups, particularly finishers, but occasionally there's, you know, a marquee signature move thrown in there for good fun. Danimal, you want to start us off? Okay, so this was a really difficult list because there were so many moves in wrestlers that i really liked um and then the first one i'm gonna go with it's it's very blasphemous because when you factor in the time i think every finisher took a while just because no one was very athletic but i gotta go with the doomsday machine it's so (laughs) cool but i mean you got these two big old hosses and one's picking a guy up onto his shoulders. The other guy's having to get up onto the turnbuckle. And it's not really, you can't do it spontaneously. So it's basically the first guy has to get picked up. And then you're just waiting as I'm not sure, you know, the, the diehards will get after me. I don't know if Hawk or Animal was jumping off the top. But then the other guy is just stuck up on the shoulders. kind of doing the like, what do I do? So it just, you got a lot of lead up and then, you know, it looks, it looks cool and it looks great at the end, but even, even now, I don't think I can think of a way that it would be done like quickly or not look super, you know, like, Oh, so-and-so's on the top and Oh, just by chance he gets picked up. So that was, that was where I had to go for my first one. It, it was just the ultimate like guy up on the shoulders, like a girl at a rock show. And then, <laughs> then they get hit. I always think of that one too when they had that horrifically offensive storyline towards the end of their run where, um, again, I, I can't recall if it was Hawk or Animal. One of them was suffering from concussion-like symptoms and he would just randomly like pass out or like get dizzy and fall over. So he would be the one getting up to do the jumping clothesline or lariat, whatever you want to call it. And then he would just like topple over. And then the guy with the the person on his shoulders would just be like confused and not know how to react. And then inevitably they'd lose the match. So yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that one up though. It's a great way to start off because um, actually I had one of similar nature. It's it's the same setup. Um, You know, I, I know we've discussed like the one winged angel, um, which is an amazing finisher. But one thing I'll say is what has been fascinating with that maneuver is to get the person up on the shoulders like that, they've actually found some creative ways to have uh, Kenny Omega's stable kind of help out, particularly if it's a larger individual he's going to be doing it to. Or there's been a few times where he manages to kind of sneak under the, the turnbuckle and catch them if they're going for a maneuver that way. So it, it hasn't been nearly as awkward like, in my time watching AEW of like seeing the creative ways that they do the setup. There was a period of time where edge when he was kind of evolving into being a solo star when breaking off from the edge and Christian thing, which had, you know, a fantastic run way back when um, he started doing the electric chair drop. And I know a number of different people have done it, but him in particular, it was super awkward because it was the combination of he's getting pushed, so he's getting these high-profile matches. But back then in WWE, getting high-profile matches kind of didn't necessarily mean you were pairing up with necessarily the most athletic or talented wrestlers. I was going to say, that was back when Edge was like the smallest guy in the locker room. So it, Yeah, exactly. So it was super awkward because it was like he went from 
having this maneuver that I'm pretty sure he was using regularly in, in the pay-per-views where they were in this perpetual never-ending war with the Hardy Boys, essentially, to where, okay, that's easy to pick up a Jeff or a Matt and drop them on his head from your shoulders. But now all of a sudden you're getting paired up with these big name guys who are minimum 275. You know, I was going to say, it's like, oh, well, Batista wasn't that big. No, Batista's fucking huge. Exactly. And so, like, it was always awkward. Like, he was just strong enough to get him up, but clearly it was, like, a struggle. And then, like, he couldn't really do the whole pose with them on your shoulders he just had to kind of quickly like duck under and then drop them on their face and then you combine that with the fact that it's an incredibly difficult or dangerous maneuver where you can easily knock somebody out which i'm fairly certain occurred at least once so it it was just a bad look and very very awkward because you as you pointed out he was the smallest guy at these competing these heavyweight matches and it just did not pair up well yeah, electric chair was a, a favorite of mine back in the old school build a wrestler because that was definitely the coolest one because they had the animation where the guy who's up there is kind of doing the like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you violently drop them onto their face. So, no, that's that's definitely a tough one. Like, you just you can't get someone up that quickly. And if you do, I think there's also that degree of safety that you want to make sure that they know that it's coming and you know that they know so that there's not the moment that like, as you try to drop them, they're doing the like, uh Oh, I'm going to lean back. And then all hell breaks loose. So. Yeah, absolutely. What you got for your next one there, Danimal. All right. I'm continuing to just shit on legends <laughs> and I'm going with just, Oh, he's so good. Ray Mysterio jr. With the six one nine. Because it's once again one of these situations where it's like, how many times can someone get immobilized and knocked down to where they're on the second rope with their arms hanging over it, giving Ray enough time? And don't get me wrong, the guy was quicker than shit. But there's still that moment of like, you know, how many drop toe holds can you see? Which then has him having to do kind of the full run and the big leg swing. So that that one and, you know, it it looks cool as hell, but it's once again one where it's just like the suspension of disbelief is a little difficult paired with the fact that it's not just the okay, at least if you're doing a top rope maneuver, which is still a whole different conversation, you can just, you know, knock someone out cold, basically, and then they're there. But like to get them hung up on that second rope was a very, uh, very difficult thing to uh, to recognize. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because that was on my honorable mention list. And it was so true. Like, I I feel like what occurred with that one was that was like kind of shortly after he actually debuted in WWE after, you know, actually having a cruiserweight division to work with at WCW. Yeah, which was incredible. Exactly. And being able to execute all sorts of crazy high flyer stuff. And then all of a sudden now you're, you're transported to, again, a locker room where majority of these guys are massive so finding a maneuver that isn't just him doing crazy flips off the top rope because he was also getting a bit older and and let's face it like bit bulkier which you know for a luchador who was probably 130 pounds back when he debuted like is a big deal because you can't contort your body as much in midair and whatnot so i feel like it was a combination of he was probably the first guy who was doing that which was a fantastic counter maneuver like super yeah. cool. Like I'm glad that it will forever be known as the six one nine in that regard. 
and people have to acknowledge his con contributions to wrestling as a whole. But yeah, as an actual finisher, it was just the lamest damn thing because you would see this guy do all these crazy 450 frog splashes and moonsault after moonsault and like crazy reversals. And then it's like, and now it's his turn to finish the big show. Yeah. And it's like, it's Paul White tripping, falling on the rope, and then Rey Mysterio kind of swinging around and kicking him. And it's like, somehow that has the same impact as the choke slam would have. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that, and that was kind of right in with my honorable mention of, once again, awesome move, awesome wrestler, the Randy Orton hanging DDT, where it's like, oh, no, somehow they've ended up with their feet on the second rope. It's <laughs> like, man, you think these people would have done a little scouting ahead of time, but. So uh, continuing the trend of shitting on legends, because I think that it's inevitable <laughs> that it's going to be all of these entries. Um there was a period of time when he debuted in WCW uh, where Triple H was known as Terror Rising. Such an amazing name. I absolutely, I, I like Googled it once because I just wanted to figure out how to properly spell it. Yeah. And it spells as goofy as you imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> so during this stint, he actually had a submission hold for his finisher. Oh, which... I, I was unaware of this. Yeah, and it's one of those maneuvers that the that wrestling has that sounds incredibly racist, the name, but it probably isn't for some reason. Uh, it, it's If you look it up, I, I'm going to call it terrorizing submission hold, <laughs> but oh, it's God. also uh, a particular ethnic group's version of an inverted death lock. Oh, God. So anyway, um, in this, this maneuver... The reason it made this list for me, because it's actually a pretty cool submission hold. Um, basically, he rolls them on their stomach, he locks their leg, rolls them over, and then he kind of does almost like a, a back press to kind of add the leverage. Now, the issue with this was after Triple H had truly cemented himself and become like the king of kings, essentially. Yeah. He had reached that level where he, you know, had to keep adding something to kind of up his his in-ring abilities so he yeah. brought this submission hold back now i had always said like if you want to experience deja vu you watch a triple h match and that's a high compliment and yeah. just in the sense that like everything from the the entrance the the plume of water he shoots out it's always identical every time he's that much of a, a perfectionist and frankly a professional how and how much did every kid practice doing the water spit and no matter how much you did the like volume and the dispersal and the little bit he saved for the like exclamation point like true was, greatness just thing, on the smallest of levels thing of beauty I, I literally spent a summer on a beach one time just trying to master this because i had nothing better to do but being stuck on a beach all summer and i still couldn't get the triple h water spit down but that applied to his in-ring abilities too. his striking, his, you know, the pedigree was always on point. Like he, he very rarely, if ever botched anything. And because of that, when you have this submission hold, that is a multi-part, I mean, there's about eight different maneuvers involved with it. And then you add the fact that he's a Supreme professional and understands as a bigger wrestler, you have to really milk the posing and everything involved with each maneuver. This is a move that takes probably 45 seconds to execute which is a lifetime when you're trying to watch two grown men beat the shit out of each other to get over your day at work 
and not and not have it and then also have like the person who isn't a fan not think it looks goofy so like watching him do a step-by-step like now i'm gonna do this and next you do i i looked it up and yeah i see i see the name which somehow yeah it doesn't seem to work um but yeah he he gets it and he flips him and then you're getting into the press up but yeah it's a very slow developing move Exactly. And then as when he was doing it as Triple H, it was even worse because then like when he would do the stand up, he would like take a moment to like pause and just be this massive figure. So like Jr. and and the king could just like, you know, basically just like talk about how amazing and massive he was or whatever. They do the backdrop and that has to be big and dramatic to show the impact. Then he has to hold it. And then, of course, you're into that maneuver where it's like, will he tap? Will he tap? You know? <laughs> So not only was it a nightmare when he was doing this every night, because this is back when guys also wrestle Mondays and Thursdays. Oh, yeah. Then you have to factor in, too, that it was also in video games. So if you ever wrestled Triple H during a certain era of time, it was like anytime you're on the ground, he would instantly lock you into this maneuver that would just freeze the game while you had to watch the computer go through this whole thing. It was a nightmare. So, yeah, I, I will for, forever think of the inverted indian death lock as it's known yeah huh I'll, I'll i'll see the submission because i i thought a lot about the submissions because there's some that you know well even you know looking back to like the the AEW that we talked about at blood and guts you know the the ankle lock is so great because it's like all you gotta do is you pick the ankle and boom out of nowhere you've got it and you know and, you know, some of the arm-based ones you can kind of do with, like, momentum. And as you go to the ground, you slide something over and they're in it. And once again, continuing the trend of hating on superstars, I got to go with used by many, mastered by Bret Hart, the sharpshooter. It's just so damn slow. And it's made doubly bad by when, because submissions are a great, you know, equalizer. That no matter how big you are, you know, if if your arm's getting wrenched or you're getting a sleeper hold, it can take you out. But whenever you try to lock in a sharpshooter on a giant person, it's made even more ridiculous because you have to do the like step through and then you're doing it. And then, like you said, you know, for the theatrics, it's like he's trying to get him over. And yeah, like, you know, I guess I keep referencing the big show because everything's funnier with him. It's just <laughs> like, you know, Brett or Cesaro or, you know, any of the countless people that have used it. They're sitting here trying to get big show over. And it's like the beached whale who's like kind of going with it, but kind of fighting it. And, you know, once it's locked in, it's a great looking move. You know, the stone cold heart double turn. One of the most iconic moments was with the sharpshooter. But I just think also because it's been used by so many people, I think that you do see people like screw it up, which mm-hmm. then makes it even worse that they like don't get the leg twist right. And they kind of flip and the person's legs straighten out. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the submission that I just felt like is kind of one or two steps too long. I, I can see that. And that makes sense. Cause when that was kind of it was at its peak, I mean, honestly, you can make a strong argument that that was one of the like first legit finishers. Um, that wasn't just, you know, a Hogan leg drop or something like that. The but, Jake Roberts DDT. Yeah. It was like the first one where it was like, okay, this is only getting busted out when the match is coming to a close. And, and because of that, I think that the theatrics involved with that certainly have probably drug it out. Uh, again, that's one where I'm sure that 
you know, some wrestling historian will shit all over me for incorrectly pointing out. But regardless, um, I for one of my entries, I literally just have anything the road dog ever did. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so with you. I really want to hear where you go with this to see if you hit what first came to mind for me. Yeah, because it was just like we, we've discussed this a few times, but the concept like I feel like the New Age Outlaws is a perfect example where you take an, a guy who has amazing in-ring ability and presence, but zero mic skills and pair him up with a guy with terrible in-ring presence, terrible wrestling ability, but amazing mic skills. And somehow together they form into one entity that's actually pretty decent. I'll like Dragon Ball Z. So the, yeah, the New Age Outlaws. It was just so funny because Billy Gunn still to this day is pretty cut and still can wrestle. He's he, impressive. He yeah. really is. And for a while there, like during this, when he was in his prime, like he was doing the full body press, like he was doing all sorts of, I mean, the fame asser is a scary maneuver that he shockingly never really seemed to knock anybody out on. And he did from the top rope a few times. Well, and the fact that it's one of those moves that if, if you wanted to do it lame, you do kind of the, like the more of the like power bomb setup where you like kick someone in the stomach and they go into a 90 degree. But mm-hmm. he was good enough that he could kind of do it out of nowhere. Yep. But he'd jump up, he uses momentum to like lift himself up and then whip that leg in and pop someone down. So it kind of was like a holy shit. Like, you know, he really, you know, out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and he yeah, was a then, big dude too. Yeah. So yeah, and now and now that brings us to the other side of the coin. And then you have the road dog who always looked like he was just wrestling in his pajamas for starters. And then Such the a fact- tough pairing. Billy Gunn shirtless and looking like a million bucks with a little exposed ass on the lips just to show how in shape he was with road dog like the fat guy who shows up in the Seahawks jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he just showed up and he would barely be in the ring. And anytime he did, this was right at the peak. And I'm pretty sure we can blame the rock for this, where it began the trend of where if a person's on the ground, like you had to have some long drawn out maneuver, obviously like the, the Cena five knuckle shuffle comes to mind. There's another one that I know is on this list that we'll get to, but the road dog had his own variant where he'd bounce off the ropes. I believe it's called like shake, rattle and bones, shake, rattle and roll. Yep. Yeah. Or shake, rattle and roll. Thank you. And yeah, he would do this weird like knee shimmy and then do like, it wasn't even, I, I don't even know. It wasn't a splash. It was like a knee, but it just looked like he just kind of toppled over onto him. Like there was no impact. There was nothing to it that suggested it would hurt them. And then he had the audacity to have on top of that, this punching combo he would do where it was like these jabs. He would jab them twice with the left and then again, throw the right. That one may have been shake, rattle and bones. I, I'm not certain, but that, that one was, I still remember a coworker verse. I think it was Jackson once like accidentally built a wrestler and he had like the road dog striking and he hated it because it was like this super goofy, like overstated punching. And yeah. I just, and it was so accurate because that's one of those things where it was like, no, it's really, you know, it looks more like boxing and it's cool. But no, it was just like so theatrical. Yeah. And then you add to it, it's like technically, technically, I don't, I don't think most people would consider this, but his finisher was a pump handle slam. 
which in terms of body slams is the lamest, most drawn out variant where for some reason you have to jam their, their arm between their legs before just picking them up and dropping them. So it was like, even when it comes to something physical like that, it was pretty damn lame. So he okay. really, yeah, go right no, ahead. You, you left out possibly my favorite part. And I saw this when, you know, going through some old Attitude Era matches that sometimes before he did the pump handle slam and he was behind them, he would thrust into their ass like he was <laughs> making You're love right. to them. And then he would pull it, which once again is like, that's your big like, oh, here it comes. You know, it's not the most electrifying move. It's not Undertaker's show of strength on the last ride. It's dry humping another man before you pull his arm through his own ass. And mind like, you, this was the early 2000s, so it was 100% intended to be like a mockery. Yeah. While meanwhile, he's going to make the heavy, the hard tag to his teammate, Mr. Ass, yeah. to go and you know, finish the match. So yeah, it was just all things bad <laughs> yeah he is in the wwe all the fame yeah that that that's a great just like collective body of work for <laughs> awful but yeah that's that's spectacular uh so i'm i'm going with another one that i i think they've kind of moved away from one because it probably could have landed in our list of wrestling moves that could kill you especially if botched and I think it's just a really unfortunate use of a phenomenal wrestler. And I use the word phenomenal because it's the phenomenal one, AJ Styles. But the Styles clash mm. is so lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you've got this guy that, I mean, he's got like the calf crusher, which is a pretty, once again, a quick move where he, you know, rolls and he locks it in and it's holy shit. Phenomenal forearm is one of those moves that it's like how you can do that week in and week out without, having a botch is beyond me yeah but then the other move that he yeah set up is the big finisher is that he you know lifts someone up then he has to do the awkward step over so that he hooks the hooks the arms and then he does the the fall forward which you know as everyone brings up it's the world's easiest move to protect yourself from because you just got to do a sit-up so that your head's up yeah but then there's the natural reaction of like not knowing what to do do but that that's one that i just feel like especially for the quality of wrestler it's like why when you've got someone who can just fly around the ring and chain wrestle and get to the top and do all this do you then slow it down to have to do this weird double leg step over so that was that was one that i felt like it's kind of like the anti-road dog where I, I don't think we could have asked him to do anything else it was like you know he showed up to the the ring one day and was like you guys are never going to believe what I came up with last night with AJ. I kind of wonder if someone was just like, well, we need something to amp up the crowd because, you know, all your other stuff just, you know, it's so quick. So that was, that was the one that kind of came to mind for me was that it's just like, it's so out of character. It, it was. And I really feel like um, that probably was a product of either injuries or, um, just because I remember when he, he was kind of the only thing going there for TNA mm -hmm. for a while where he was more of the high flyer and he's don't get me wrong. I mean, he's still an amazing talent from that, but he has since evolved to a bit more of an all arounder with a bit more like, you know, striking and slams involved. And I think that that was a product of that, but you're right that it really is awkward because essentially you're, it's almost like when you're helping like a kid do a handstand, <laughs> 
and it's made even more awkward by the fact that he again is a smaller guy in in the wwe where it's very apparent he's a smaller guy so yeah um yeah it's I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the creativity, but yeah, it's a very awkward maneuver. It, it doesn't have nearly the impact of like the knockout punch or yeah. you know, the quote, the, yeah, the clothesline from hell, the choke yeah. slam, any number of amazing maneuvers that can totally turn things around. This is just the like, what is anytime you have to ask, what the hell is he doing before they actually see the impact? That's a problem. Yeah, 100%. I'm glad you bring that up, though, actually. It's perfect to segue into uh, my next one, who is another wrestler who's in-ring abilities. I have nothing but positive things to say about, but this was just a really awkward maneuver he used to do, um, and that's Chris Jericho's triple powerbomb, mm. where it's an amazing feat of strength, but it was so obvious that he was the one hurting himself the whole time you would do it because like initial powerbomb you know you pick the guy up put him through your legs roll him over slam yeah, him okay get the momentum nice yeah good impact but then to do the triple you have to have the guy essentially locking their arms to make sure that like they're not flailing around and he just would kind of do a pull up with their legs to pick them back up so in the process you're just waiting for the hernia to pop <laughs> And then he'd pick him up, barely get him up, drop him again, and they go for the triple. But it would just be like so awkward because it's like on one end, you're like marveling at the athletic prowess. But at the same time, you're just like, dude, you're only going to hurt yourself. Like, what are you doing? Yet another case, too, of like not the biggest guy. It, no matter where, I mean, WCW he wrestled in the cruiserweight division and wrestled for the TV title. Yeah, and then to, then to keep rolling with it, it's like that's a move to do with Rey Mysterio, where he can you know lock his legs on you and you know you know somehow make himself weigh four pounds so that it looks great. But no, that's a that's a pretty good one. That's that should have been a, a Brock Lesnar kind of move. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if a big reason why it stands out is because I, I specifically remember him doing it a lot when he debuted in the WWE or it was F back then. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I think a lot of that was him trying to prove that he can hold his own with the bigger guys and not be relegated to a cruiserweight division. Not, which... Yeah, not not lack. So you go with the wow strength move to show, you know, oh, no, he can he can do that to the rock. And, you know, so that that does make sense. Uh, what's your next one there, Danimal? OK, God, see, I just I feel like I'm really just going after like great wrestlers and great moves. And I think part of what makes so many of them so impressive is because like the finished product when you see it is so impressive, but getting there is insane. So I'm going to, it's a move that's pro prominently been used by two wrestlers, both of whom I adore. And that's Razor Ramon and Sheamus. And it's the Celtic cross of the Razor's Edge, which is up there for most impressive moves because the ability to get someone up like that and then you straighten your arms and are just like pressing them. Mm -hmm. And then once again, for both guys that they never killed anyone doing this. Yeah. <laughs> because if you, if you botch that, you're, you know, you lean too hard, too fast. You're just dropping someone squarely on their head. So to have someone in that awkward of a position and control the toss as well as they did was awesome. But the whole time that you had to watch the poor son of a bitch lift it up in the air and just kind of be like, 
standing there with their arms held out as they're being like shifted and you know somehow no one ever thought to try to just like lift their arms up and slide down <laughs> was beyond me because once again you know we're we're not we're not saying these aren't cool moves necessarily but they are they are moves that it was just kind of like up oh, here we go step one two okay he's got him behind him now straight okay he's got him up and the running false lampard okay yeah i I love that you brought that one up because I definitely considered it. I, I couldn't bring myself to just because I have so many fond memories of Razor busting that one out. But you're absolutely right. Anything where the setup it requires that much like power on the, the person's part when in reality you could just as easily like just kind of turn around and lift them that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just, just pop them up in the air and toss them forward. Like yeah, there really isn't a this doesn't necessitate the power bomb setup, but you know, I appreciate the hell out of it. And yeah, uh, and like I said, I, I got a Seamus shirt in the closet and I'll I'll drop the you know uh bad times don't last but bad guys do line like crazy. But just like the bad guys last, so does the setup for that move. um so i have one for you uh i had a moment you know of feeling incredibly old the other day where somebody had posted online talking about how some 41's big hit album came out 20 21 years ago to this date and it was just that sobering realization of how many years i've been slogging along on this planet but then it also like reminded me of uh some things from that era that really remind you that it's like this was an era and i'm glad it's over i can't wait to see where you go with this because like in too deep and fat lip were really seminal songs for me in my youth so um probably the biggest waste of time move i can imagine the worm, the Scotty oh, Too Hockey oh. Worm, where for anyone who hasn't had the privilege of experiencing the worm, it's a, once again a maneuver where a character would suddenly find themselves just knocked out in the middle of the ring, which is comical based on the fact that Sky Too Hottie was maybe 175 pounds. Oh, yeah, not, not a heavy hitter. Yeah, and his whole gimmick is he was supposed to look like a young hip-hop kid, but it was like a young hip-hop kid as designed by Vincent K. McMahon in the early 2000s or late 90s. So it was just like bleach blonde hair, spiked up, a horrible Fu Manchu. And yeah, and he would do this thing where he'd just get all super excited, then he'd bounce off the ropes, and then he'd do the the war breakdance maneuver. And then he would do these weird chopping motion and then fall and chop them in the throat which was always comical that you'd aim for the throat to me it was like after all that crap of this poor person laying in the middle of the ring now you hit them in the throat when they can't protect themselves but uh, i digress it had offered no impact but it went over so big because all the kids in the stand had to see the damn worm so you saw it every night Well, the other thing that was great about it was he did like the goofy, like jumping on one foot around the ring to get to it, which just added to the fact that he was doing the maneuver for so long. And don't get me wrong. It was one of the most impressive worms because it was like most people, because it also, as we continue to talk about, you know, things that everyone tried to do, be damned if you didn't try the worm and severely hurt your own (laughs) groin, probably. (laughs) I mean, that guy, it was smooth. Like he had, he had muscle control down, but yeah, that's, 
that's an all-timer and that that'll bring me to just it, we couldn't not bring the maneuver up because there was Scotty Too Hottie and Grandmaster Sexay, but the unofficial <laughs> third member of Too Cool was one of the all-time, is he the most intimidating, damaging beast in the company, or is he a huge joke? And that is the great Rikishi Fatu with the snake <laughs> face, which was just, it wasn't even, like, people would vary in the way that it injured them, too. Like, some people, it was more, like, sheer disgust because it was just this giant man in, like, a native thong rubbing his ass into your face. But then other people would be seemingly, like, knocked out by it and just kind of <laughs> slumped down, which was just, like, once again, one of those all-time great moments with, I think, possibly JR soundbites or something I really enjoy going back to. And for all the like stone cold or, you know, good God almighty, they've killed him. When the rock had Vince McMahon join the kiss my ass club and you <laughs> thought it was going to be Trish and then it was going to be the rock. And then Rikishi's music hit and JR drops the gem of my God, would you look at the size of that ass? <laughs> and it just kills me every time. But the fact that that was like a maneuver that, like you said, was set up and had all this like pomp and circumstance but you had to do it for the kids. So whoever the unpopular heel was at the time, they had to get this giant, you know, look at the size of that ass into their face. And it, it really was just like, a, you know, I, I don't know who probably felt worse because if I'm Rikishi, it's probably pretty degrading to know that like, it's like, all right, you know, what are we doing tonight? Do I get to super kick someone or am I, you know, doing the big drop off the second rope? It's like, no, Lita's being a bitch, so you're going to rubber your ass in her face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know, honey, the check clear. All right, I'm in. You just described the Attitude Era perfectly. And the I, fact that they paired them both up and you had to see both maneuvers, no matter what, win, lose, or draw, it was always yeah. both maneuvers had to happen. And again, yeah. this was, mind you, back when you wrestled two nights of the week minimum <laughs> yep and three nights if there's a pay-per-view and that's, house shows that's eight worms and eight stink faces a month for the viewing public <laughs> um in a similar move um i i would be remiss not to mention the um santino snake uh oh, no, finisher the cobra. as well the cobra yeah i that was like right around the era where i kind of took a, a break it, but it really was forcing people out. Yeah, that was because the mandible claw, like all right, was kind of a questionable maneuver, but it could work, especially given mankind, like, you know, being somewhat of an imposing figure. And then he had unhinged. It was like, is he like pulling at the <laughs> mouth and it's painful? Is he legitimately just trying to strangle someone with his entire fist? You know, yeah. there, there was some quality to it. And, you know, Mr. Sacco did start to go towards a little too much of the kish but yeah the the cobra was because yeah the the Sako thing was like that that started bordering more on the rikishi end where like because like the whole thing with that is he'd pull it out from his pants so it was like sitting next to his crotch the whole match <laughs> and then that was a factor versus before when he was the unhinged mankind it was like it actually seemed like a legitimate move where he was trying to hurt them like yeah at, you know during his his early era, like I don't think many young fans would recall, but Mick Foley was actually very terrifying in the mankind role. Yeah, early it was in a very career. unhinged, like disturbed character. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, basically everything Bray Wyatt's done and then some, I mean, so, but yeah, he then evolved it and yeah, I'm sure having his own children at home and everything, he added the Mr. Sacco element, which made it a bit more comical, but yeah, that was also towards the end of his run. But then when you see Santino bring out one where now it's a snake sock, that's also kept in his crotch and he's already a joke character to begin with. It, it, it just it was too much it was just you know, all sorts of awful to make you feel even worse i believe and continuing the trend of i like how we're saying wrestling historians because we don't want to like show the nerds <laughs> so we're using like the educational term like oh no wrestling nerds you guys are awesome it's those historians that we don't like but i believe the historians could correct me the, the Cobra actually, due to the strangeness of Santino's character and match record, might be, like, percentage-wise, the most devastating finisher of all time because it was never actually going to be, like, a, a Hogan leg drop or a rock bottom where you need the, the kick out to really make, like, a difference. So instead, it's just goofy-ass Santino. So it's like, oh, God, he's going to beat one of the members of three-man band, like... <laughs> so it was like shockingly effective because it was like the mid to low card killer. Like maybe just the jobber killer. Like, you know, you put Santino in a match with the jobber, he's getting roughed up, Cobra comes out, one, two, three. So yeah, if you if you want to feel even worse, it was it might be better than the Stone Cold Stunner or the Rock Bottom. That's amazing. I'm just gonna run with that. Like, I don't yeah. even need the stats to back it up no, because because historians be damned. You're absolutely right though, because it's so true. Like he really did like he he replaced i mean he was a different generation's version of the rikishi stink face or the sky too hottie worm i mean it that was the whole thing it's like hey look at the clown he's gonna run around and make an idiot of himself and somehow win the match at the end yep, and, the and cobra. yeah and you had to kind of see it like i said it that was around the point where i was like uh, <laughs> i should probably do something better with my evening but yeah i i have to say you, now you mentioned that he almost always won anytime that thing came out Okay, this one I, I, I really thought long and hard over. But I think I would have to go with... One second, I think my computer just randomly started playing something. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're good. Um, this one was tough because it is an all-timer. It was a great move. It was a finisher. It was the most electrifying move in sports entertainment. And it begged the question of if The Rock could get anyone to lay in one spot for that fucking long, why would he not just pin him in the first place? I would argue that the spine buster, which led to the people's elbow, may have been the most electrifying move because it allowed The Rock to kick one arm, kick the second, throw the arm up, pull the armband, hit one rope, the second rope, do a bit of a dance, and then fall from maybe four feet in the air. Like, <laughs> I got it, but it's like, especially when you, you put it with the other finisher, which was the rock bottom, which was such the other side of the spectrum, that it's like any move, it's just like, boom! And it's a giant man driving you into the ground with all his force in his way. But no, we need to watch you dance and fall from a couple feet in the air. I just, I couldn't get over it. And I was glad that over time, they seemed to kind of realize that, that it's like, no, no, like have him kick out of the people's elbow. We need to win with the rock bottom. 
but yeah yeah i just i had to say it 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 had to be done yeah it deserves its place i mean certainly it inspired literally that entire era of you know various moves we've mentioned the road dog the sky too hottie the stink face like these are all products of how popular that maneuver became Um, knuckle shuffle and the five moves of doom like yeah it's and mind you, like there were some amazing moments like the, I'll never, ever forget, like how amazingly he pulled off that one when he was in those those fancy shoes and he did oh, the slide. Man. Yeah, that once again, cool, great. But just, yeah, the, that slide was the, the concept of doing that in front of, you know, not just like live studio audience, but that was back when it was full, full arenas, you know, yeah. absolutely packed. And to be like, you know what? I bet I can slide in dress shoes across a wrestling ring and drop an elbow. Yeah. And mind you, that's also back in the era where I'm sure there was a tons of flash photography <laughs> and you always had to fear that some idiot Triple H fan or Stone Cold's going to beam you in the head with a soda while you're in the middle of going through your slide. So, yeah, that, that, that point that was uh, probably one of the top ones. And one thing I will say, though, being the older guy, um, the people's elbow what did crack me up about that is when he initially debuted that was when he was with the nation of domination and the whole point was that they were supposed to kick out it was like that's how little he thought of his opponent was he would do this big long drawn out never actually won yeah that was like the joke it was like i think so little of you that this is what i'm gonna do very reminiscent of like when jericho would do the one where he'd stand oh and yeah flex and that was awesome for the pin so okay um, that, that makes a little more sense but i i guess at that point he just i i guess it was just the rock was the victim of his own success that he he was so good at it and then when people actually like him it's like well you can't get rid of the you know the cool move he runs through but that's 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 a good point and i i do have to admit nation nation of domination like just predates my my time there i'm very familiar with it and some unfortunate segments that came from it <laughs> but I, I i did not know that it was meant that way initially which then makes it even funnier that it becomes something that he probably won like a wrestlemania with or something so yeah i was gonna say going back to always the video games it was really funny when that move would be considered like the death blow on par with you know the diesel power bomb <laughs> it's like oh no you got hit with the, the people's elbow your whole life bar is gone instantly um uh, i got nothing that can compete with that so uh, i think uh that will be it for this segment but thank you so much this has been a fun ride down memory lane of recalling how shitty some of our favorite superstars were at creating maneuvers uh it was it was great and terrible at the same time i can't think of a better way to go about it and i can't think of a better way to describe this podcast thank you so much for listening (laughs) 